Hey, let's give a hand to the people that work with our children this morning. Thank you, guys. Thanks for teaching them about the Lord. We sure appreciate you. Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Hey, that's nice, healthy, robust. Good morning. I love that. Those are active. I love it. Hey, we're in an Advent series called The Gift of God. This morning, we are focusing on God for us. God is for us. So if you would open your Bibles up, Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to camp out for the most part today. Romans chapter 5 is our scripture reading for this morning. And we're going to start in verse 6, and we're going to take it down to 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the king of the world and the king of our life, the king of this church. We bow down to you this morning. We worship you. We glorify your name. We, we do say, as we already have sung, Hail, King of Righteousness. And we need you to talk to us today. We need you to speak to us today. So God, would you set aside our pride? Would you set aside that idea that we don't really need to hear from you? Lord, we do so that we might be able to hear you clearly and plainly that you are for us and how that happens. So we pray that you would come through your spirit into our hearts, speaking to us, making things clear, making things plain, and that we would be people that not just hear your word and walk away and forget about it, but we would hear your words and be empowered to do something with it this morning. We thank you for all that you're going to do. I have my ideas of what you're going to do today, Jesus, but yours are even better. I can't wait to see what's going to happen this morning. <laughs> we, th- we thank you and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are on a search for peace. Every last one of us. doesn't matter how old or how young we are or who we are or where we came from. What is peace exactly? I mean, you could define that a variety of different ways. One way you can define peace is peace is rest from our enemies, the things and the people that harass us. That, that's a way you can define peace. Another way you can define peace is that sense of wholeness and harmony and security. That's peace when we experience those things. It's that, it's that sense that everything is right with the world and right with our life. And Advent tells us that lasting peace ultimately comes from being in alignment with God. 
uh, when, when we were little, uh, my, I mean like really little, like four years old, five years old, six, if you can remember back to being that age, my sister and I would have this little ritual that we do every time uh, we go see our grandparents uh, in the summer for summer vacation. When we visit their house, as soon as we open the door, we give them hugs, we give them kisses, hey, good to see you. What we would do is we would run around the house and we would search the house to make sure that everything was in its right place. That everything was where it was the last time we showed up. You know what I'm talking about? Because they were like, go to the living room, boom. Okay, the gray, old gray recliner, it's supposed to be in the living room. The, the, the old hi-fi, it's supposed to be lining that back wall. And that, br- that just wonderful oak wood that it was hidden in. That ugly yellow lamp that's supposed to be on that little table that only holds an ugly yellow lamp next to the bed in the back bedroom. The, the, the pool sweeper cleaner that like stalks the floor of the pool is supposed to be doing that and shooting water up in the air. That, that's what it's supposed to do, and that's where it's supposed to be. And only after we had determined that everything was where it should be and doing what it should be doing could we fully relax and feel secure and safe and at home in grandma and grandpa's house only then could we have peace and that's how we did this little ritual every time we go to visit we when we searched the house it wasn't a meaningless ritual of children We were searching to make sure everything was in its right place. We were, in a very simplistic way, searching for peace. That's what we were doing. And by the way, some of you have kids or you have grandkids are going to visit you for Christmas. Uh, Word to the wise, don't move anything. Okay? They probably want to do the same thing. They want to know everything's right where it's supposed to be. But here's the deal. You know what? Guess what? We don't grow out of that search for peace. Just because we have some uh, years on us and some mileage on us. We don't grow out of that search for peace when we age. The search just changes shape a little bit. We are constantly arranging things in our life just to give us peace. We work hard. We work really hard, do we not, to add a relationship to our life. We work really hard to cut off a relationship from our life. We work hard. We move to that new job that'll pay a little bit better. We move to that new house that'll give us a little more room or it'll get rid of a few neighbors that we don't like so we can kind of go do our own thing. We arrange our schedule to have more, more me time. We try to put all those things in the right place because it is a search for peace no matter how old or how young we are. We're all looking for this, and Christmas tells us that ultimate peace does not come from everything being in the right place in our life. No, ultimately peace comes when our life is in the right place with God. Did you hear what I said? Peace does not come from everything being in the right place in our life. Ultimately peace comes when our life is in the right place with God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I just got some questions I want us to walk. We're going to walk through Romans 5 a little bit, just through some questions. I got four questions. The first is, why do we need peace with God? See, I don't want to assume anyone here. I'm not assuming everyone here is a believer. And if you are, I'm not assuming everyone's maturing in their faith. 
I don't want to just start with the idea that everyone just knows we need peace with God. Okay? Why do we need peace with God? Let's start with why, right? Why do we need peace with God? Romans 5, verse 10. Check this out. For if while we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, means brought back, reconciled means to bring back to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Here is why we need peace with God more than anything else in the world. Paul tells us very plainly, with the words that he uses, Paul tells us that we were enemies with God. We were enemies with God. In our heart, there was a deep-seated hostility against God, the Creator, each and every one of us. Both the non-religious person and the religious person had this hostility. Both the bar hopper and the church hopper, all right, had this hostility towards God in their nature. Now, when I say that, people, you don't like that, right? I don't like hearing that. Hate God? No, we protest. I, I don't have a problem with God for most of us. He's not my enemy. God's not my enemy, so he's got no right to be my enemy. We're good. I got an aunt that's like this. I got a relationship with God. I don't bother him, and he doesn't bother me. And that's my relationship with God. It's easy to claim that we're fine with God, isn't it? I mean, you can kind of come in here and go to church and, and do some religious things and think, hey, we're good, right? It's easy to claim that we're fine with God until God starts acting like he's God. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Anybody notice that? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, absolutely. When God starts telling us how to do marriage, when God starts telling us how to do work, when God starts telling us how to rest and do church and recreation and money and what to do with our possessions and what to do with our personal freedom, when God starts defining reality and not our culture, not our parents, not us, when God starts telling us how we work best, then we begin to see how much our heart actually despises him. Who is he to tell me about that? Like, I'm good with these eight things, but this, this is mine. You guys notice that? I have. Here's the bottom line. One day there will be peace on earth, but it will be brought on God's terms, not on our terms. He gets to define that. Every time we despise what God says or we hate what he wants or disobey his commandments, we are standing as enemies in a battle line opposite of God. I'm doing this my way. Thanks for your suggestion. Now I'm going to go do what I want because I don't like that. And because God is just, because God is fair and God is righteous, he must stand in opposition to us. He must remove everyone and everything that opposes what is right and good and true for his creation. Everything that would do violence to his shalom, his peace. He has to deal with that. So do you see why we cannot have true peace on earth until we have peace with God? you get that? It's pretty important. If God is against us, then it does not matter who is for us. It doesn't matter who's with us and for us. 
It doesn't matter if my spouse is for me. It doesn't matter if my boss is for me and they really like me. It doesn't matter if my golf swing's working for me. It doesn't matter if my degrees and my certifications are working for me. It doesn't matter. What good does any of that peace do me if it is all going to get voided out by God's judgment? What good does it do me if he's going to bring an end to all of that? Only peace with God will remove us from God's right judgment and bring lasting peace into our lives and ultimately into the world in which we live. And so this is why we need peace with God. That's what we need most. Next question, what did it cost to get peace with God? What's it cost to get peace with God? How does this work? How does this happen? Because we're singing about that we have peace with God. Well, Romans 5, verse 6 through 7, let's go there. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the good people. Is that what that says? No. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is incredible. For one, he goes on to say, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That's someone who just like pays their taxes and obeys the traffic laws. They, like, just barely do the very minimum to be a good citizen. That's a righteous person, okay? One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die, Paul says. Maybe. Maybe. The Scriptures tell us that what we need most is peace with God, but we cannot get that peace by ourselves, on our own, in our own power and strength. We are too weak in sin to bring that about. I mean, we're fine with being enemies with God. We're fine if we do these few things, but this one's mine. Like, we're good living like that in and of ourselves. The only way, the only way we can hope to get peace with God is if God himself intervenes in the situation. If he intervenes and intercedes on our behalf, get this, the one offended must come make peace between us and him. Isn't that nuts? That's the only way this happens. That that's exactly what he did through the birth of his son Jesus. That was God interceding. It cost God something precious to bring us into a right relationship with him. While we were receiving the birth of his son in Bethlehem, God was paying for our sins. That's what he was doing in that moment. It cost God the life of his only son. And here's the kicker. For people that hated him to make them into friends. I've said this before. You know, there's two ways that God destroys his enemies. You know that, right? There's like the usual way. He takes their life. There's another way. He makes them friends. That's the other way you destroy an enemy. And that's what God does. You're not my enemy anymore. I'm your friend. I'm for you. This week I read a news story about a police officer from Buffalo, New York, who on Monday afternoon saved the life of a one-month-old baby from dying. That's, that's a little baby. Officer Holtz responded to a 911 call from this frantic mother who said her baby had stopped breathing and was dying. She just happened to be nearby. The officer was able to arrive in time to help bring the uh, baby O'Brien back to life. This, this was a pretty amazing situation here, but w- what was most amazing about the story it was that this was the third time that Officer Holt has saved 
a child's life and nine years of service. When asked about her line of work, she told the reporter this, quote, you have to find the good in people, even if it's a call involving a dangerous situation. Even if it's a call involving a dangerous situation, we're counselors. We are peacemakers. So Paul says in Romans 5, yes, yes, under the right circumstances, If all that stuff lines up, you might enter into a dangerous situation to save someone who was good, kind of like what Officer Holtz did. You might do that. Given the right situation, you might die. Give your life for someone who is virtuous, like an innocent little baby that's never done anything wrong, never broken, committed a crime, right? You might do that. But nobody dies to spare the life of a wicked person. Nobody does that. Yet that's exactly what God did for you and me. The gospel is the amazing, true story about the hero dying for the villain. It's incredible. It's the good news of God. Jesus perfectly obeyed his father in word and deed, yet he experienced punishment for sins that he never committed. And why? Why did he do that? So that we who sin could go unpunished. We could go free from that. He chose to absorb the wrath of God so that we could actually have the peace of God forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's what he did for us. That's what it cost God to give you and I peace with him. So what does peace with God mean for us? If we cannot know lasting and ultimate peace until we have peace with God, And if God was willing to give this peace to us, regardless of all that it cost him, this security, this sense of that everything is right, he was willing to do that at a great personal cost to him, then that proves two wonderful truths for us. I really want you to get this, guys. First of all, it proves that God unquestionably loves us. God unquestionably loves us. Let's go to verse 8. It says, but God shows his love for us, shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I talked with someone just this week. They told me that before they became a disciple of Jesus, they used to, they used to say this to Christians. Hey, listen, if God really exists, you want me to believe in God? If God really exists, then why doesn't he come down here, make himself visible, perform a miracle, to prove once and for all that he is God and that he really loves me. Here's a response to that question. God did. Like he really did. Exactly that. Exactly that. Advent is the celebration of God coming down here, making himself visible, performing a miracle to prove once and for all that he's really God and he really unquestionably loves us. That's like all those things that that guy wanted. Boom, done for you and me. It's a miracle that God would choose to make peace with us while we were performing acts of hostility against him. Like, that's a miracle. That's love. That God would take enemies and redeem them into friends when they deserve punishment. It's a miracle. And it's love. 
and he would do this at great personal cost to himself, is a true miracle. And it is love. That's what God has done for us. You see, ultimately, Jesus was born to die. And we need to remember that also at Advent. Jesus was born to die. He wasn't born to grow up and have this long life. He did that for you and for me. The death of God's own son was his love on display, not in words, but on, like not on audio, right? But like on video, do you know what I'm saying? He showed it. He d- displayed it. He treated his own son like an enemy so that we who were really his enemies could be treated like sons and daughters. Isn't that crazy? That should make you smile. <laughs> there is no love on the planet like that, Crossway. Like, go ahead. You can search the whole globe the rest of your days, and you will not find someone that loves you like that. Not even your mom. Not even your dad. Nobody. God making peace through his son also proves that God is absolutely for us. Did you hear what I said? That God is absolutely for us. Look at verse 8 again. We'll read it again. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The rebellion that separated us has been removed. The punishment that stood over us has been paid. The righteousness that we needed to stand before God has been supplied completely and all through Jesus Christ. Because of him, we are where we're supposed to be in relationship to God, just like that high-five in my grandmother's house. We're right where we're supposed to be in relationship to him. This is what we sing every Christmas. We just sang it this morning. Hark! The herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. God didn't say, hey, sorry, irreconcilable differences. He said those don't exist. We're reconciled. Isn't that amazing? We stand in relation to God as his children now. Get this. Even though we don't always act like his children, even though sometimes we still act like his enemy, he still relates to us as his child. And now everything that God does in relationship to us is for our good. We are assured that whatever he ordains for us is not meant to destroy us. It is not meant to tear us down. Look at Romans 8.31. We're going to skip ahead. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, this is the flip side of how I started out. If God's against you, then it doesn't matter who's for you, right? But if God is for us, then who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who at the right, is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 
We've been saved, we are saved, and we will be saved fully. That's what he's saying. Past, present, future. God did all the hard work through Jesus to give us peace with him. This all took place in the historical person of Jesus, in his physical body, in a visible way. It's not just our imagination. This means that the truth that the scriptures speak to us about God is for us, that's a fact, not a feeling. Isn't that great? That's a fact, not a feeling. The fact that God is absolutely for us and unquestionably loves us helps us handle times of physical suffering. It helps us handle times of emotional uncertainty and unrest and loneliness. When we experience those things, and we will as Christians experience those things, but when we experience those things, it is not because God stands against us. I want you to hear me say that. It's not because God stands against us. Those things are not being used to destroy us. That option is off the table for believing Christians. God uses all those things to produce something good in us and to glorify his great name to us. That's the purpose. So how should we respond to this? Two ways. Two ways we respond, brothers and sisters. We believe, first of all. We need to believe. Look at Romans 5, verse 2. Through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. We've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The way we get access to the peace of God is believing that Jesus did this. Oh, by the way, he did this for us. That's how we gain access to this. We believe what God has objectively done for us more than we believe our feelings. You tracking with me? You know what I'm saying? That is faith. That is believing. This is how you and I are to respond to this great gift. Believing is not the same thing as knowing, right? You know what I'm talking about? Belief's not the same thing as knowing something. They're cousins, but they're not the same thing. Belief means you are actively relying on it. Like you're literally trusting in it. That's believing. The gospel says God has put me in a right relationship with him, though I don't deserve it. Okay, I'm going with that. I'm going with that. God has given me peace that cannot be overturned by my sin. It cannot be added to by my obedience. Okay, I'm going with that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, that's believing. That's what he's talking about. By faith, we believe God's love will satisfy our heart, even though our heart is sad, even though our heart may be lonely, whatever the case may be for you. We believe that God has not cast us aside. We believe that God has not and will not ignore us. Our prayers. We believe God really actually does love us because we believe in what He's done in Christ over how we feel. And that's not to minimize the pain we feel of loneliness sometimes at holidays. Not at all. 
But what this peace with God does is it places all those other things that we want and all those other relationships in their proper context, in their order, which is secondary. They don't have to be the main focus of our life anymore. The main thing that satisfies us. God has given us what will satisfy us the most. And we can look to him and we can experience that and we can know that. Because we have peace with God, because God is for us, and because God unquestionably loves us, we have peace with him. And we're going to take him at his word. That's believing. We're going to take him at his word. Second way we respond to this great gift is that we rejoice. We rejoice. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God. That's a curious way of putting it, isn't it? We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. Rejoice is just this outward expression of our faith in God. And faith is not about how we feel. We already discussed that. It's about what we know. So rejoicing is this outward expression. The two, actually, they overlap. They've got to go hand in hand. We do not rejoice because of how we feel. We rejoice in God because of what we know and believe. Paul says we rejoice through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're rejoicing. It means we're praising God. We're singing. We're clapping. We're testifying to his goodness with our mouth. We're actively doing this as an outward expression of what we believe Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf. The feelings will follow later. But this is how we respond. We live in a period of time that tells us that if we don't feel something, then that means whatever we do is not authentic. If you're not feeling it while you're doing it, it's not authentic. So I'm going to wait till I feel like rejoicing and then rejoice so it'll be authentic, right? That's kind of what we're told. And that's the period of life we live in. We must conjure up feelings of love before we act in love. We must feel brave before we act brave. Otherwise, it's a fake thing, right? It's inauthentic. That's the period of time that we live in right now. The truth is that actually the opposite is true. We need to push back on that a little bit. Our actions can actually change our thoughts. And they'll often dictate how we will feel later on. We're going to act on what we know. We're going to act on what we know. So I encourage you to rejoice in Christ this week. Because of him, you have peace with God. Believe it, receive it, and rejoice in it. This is God's charge to us this week. Believe it, receive it, and rejoice in him. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you. God, you're such a kind and generous God to us. You're just, you're just too good. You're too good to us. I love you. Thank you for not treating us as we deserve, but better than we deserve. And thank you for making us your children through the loss of one of yours, Jesus Christ. 
We thank you, Jesus, for your great sacrifice. We thank you for your love. that You, you didn't just talk a good talk. You put it on display. You did it for us. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your courage, for your bravery, for your love. And a lot of that help us be brave, help us show love, help us have faith as we look at you and what you have done. Help us rejoice this week and that you have given us the ultimate relationship that ultimately satisfies us and will satisfy us. Help us believe you and take you at your word. And I thank you that you answer all of our prayers. You don't make it seem that you answer our prayers. You actually answer them. You're not an illusionist or a magician. You're a God who answers prayers. And I thank you for that. So, Lord, would you answer our prayers, even the prayers of our hearts right now, and change us. We love you. We sing to you. We rejoice in you. And we thank you for the joy you have given us. Amen.